this uh, last several weeks, I've just been contemplating uh, this month of February and, and what we should uh, we should tackle and and look at the theme. And um, I, I thought this would be appropriate. What I'm going to share today, and I believe it's for everybody. Um, you know, uh, today I want to show you a picture to, to kick things off this morning, and this is a picture of the most um, probably high on the important list of my list of things that are important, um, really important. Um, in actual fact, as I was thinking about this, uh, this, this is a picture of something that's probably, up, apart from all the things that I have, of all the things that I have in this world, whether it's material possessions or whatever it is, this is the one thing I've come to understand that I can actually can come to heaven with me. It's eternal. It has eternal value. It's the one thing that, um, that uh, I can enjoy. We're about to enjoy forever, uh, I pray. Maybe in heaven, it talks about certain things that probably won't happen, but at least um, to know that these, uh, this would be in heaven would be brilliant. So uh, this is my in most important picture, one of the most important pictures that I want to put up on the screen right now. Here it is. Don't you think that's important? Yep. It's important to me. <laughs> I know it's not as important as you, but you, know, you could put your family picture up there. Uh, actual fact, that's not all my family. Um, since then, we've added um, two, uh, three grandchildren, but you know, I just didn't have a picture of everybody together because one's still about to be, um, um, what do you call it? Just um, born. Okay. Does that make it so complicated? I just. But I, w I, I would just want to, uh, challenges today um, about the family. One of the most important things is family. It's not, um, it's, you know, you can look at it in relation to your own uh, biological family. It's vitally important. You've got, a, but there's church family. There's, there's more than just a biological. There's a church family. There's people you know who are friends. Um, whatever race, creed, color, tongue, whatever, but we could be family. And so it's a powerful um, thing that God put into place. He actually said to Adam right at the beginning, he said, you know what? Um, it's not good that man's alone. Praise God. Every man said, amen. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so I was, so I, 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 over my lifetime, I've been totally um, committed, I think, to a family. I haven't done it well as a dad or even a husband. I haven't, I mean, in the sense of not done it, got, got it wrong sometimes. Um, and I suppose over this next several weeks, I just want to talk about that and, and what God says in His Word about it. Do you know, I, I was just um, interested because at the time Jesus was walking the earth in the New Testament times, did you know that the um, empire or the world, the European world, so to speak, at that time was ruled by the Romans? And I was contemplating, why did the Roman Empire become so vast and so big? And do you know what I discovered? As much as you may sometimes, we sometimes get a bad, the, the Romans get a bad rap because we think, oh, they're the ones who were involved in, you know, crucifying Jesus. And, and they were the ones who used to tax the Jews and, and all that type of stuff. But you know, the reality is, is that the Romans built their empire because it was massive. In the times of Jesus, they built their empire. Do you know what they built it on? The strength of the family unit. And if you look back in historical record, you'll see that the family was of high importance in Roman culture. 
And the, the actual fact is the Roman family was the most important thing. And the whole family would all live together, quite literally. They lived together and, um, in one house or, or, or unit. And the family all included the unmarried sons and the daughters, and also as well as the married sons and their wives and their children. And the married, it says the married daughters used to go and live with the husband's families. And when I was in, um, when I was in Jerusalem uh, of uh, February last year, I, uh, I noticed that they'd have these houses and, um, and they'd have them one, two, three or four levels. Uh, they were just kind of lovely whitewashed, um, you know, cubes really rectangles and what would happen is and i know these were jewish families but they just were jewish families there were arab families there was families who had come from the roman empire they were all there together and they, the, the mum and dad would build the first level and when they had a son who got married they'd build another level and they would live there and then if they had another son they'd build another level and they lived there with all their children and it was just very evident in the culture of the day is how they lived. And this is how the Romans lived. And this is how the Romans built this incredible empire. Because who knows, a nation is only as strong as the family. And not only a nation is only as strong as the family, but the truth is, is that, that a community is only as strong as the family, but a church is only as strong as the family unit. And God's kingdom ultimately is only as strong as the family. So how foundational is good, healthy families? How foundational, incredibly foundational. Now, I know that all of us are in different situations today. We've got maybe where maybe we haven't got our family. You're here by yourself. Uh, maybe uh, you're uh, here today as a single mum or a single dad or maybe never married or whatever there may be. There were all different situations and circumstances. So I want to, I, I suppose I just want us to be understanding of each other and all of that. We've, we've got circumstances that are not the same. Maybe a widow, maybe a male widow, a female widow, whatever the situation. But the truth is, uh, uh, we're all part of something that we know someone within our f family. And my prayer today would be that there'd be a real strengthening of those relationships. No matter how bad they may be at the moment, that God could, you could see that turned around if it's not good. And something vitally important added into your family. Um, so let me pray today. Can we just pray? Holy Spirit, today, thank you. I thank you for every person here today, and I ask today, as we look at your word, your truth, that, Father, you do something far beyond my words, or, or, or I can't do it, but Holy Spirit, you do it, that you bring an incredible conviction in our hearts to stand up for what is vitally important and what you establish, and that's the relationships and the behaviors within our family. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, do you know, uh, the Romans, as I said, had a strong regard for the family and the raising of children in the right way. And Paul, as he writes his letters in the New Testament, um, particularly a letter to the Ephesians, because Ro uh, Paul, remember, was a Roman citizen. He was, bo he was born a in a Roman city called Tarshish. And so he, he, we've got to remember that. He was a Roman. He said, you know, when he was captured one day, hey, you're gonna, you, are you going to persecute? I'm a Roman. And they all went, oh, he's not a Roman, is he? So Paul was a Roman, so he knew about this family culture. And in Ephesus, or in Ephesians, there was a vital church growing. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he starts to write to them, and he talks about sections of the letter, uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6 of, of Ephesians, is written particularly to families, particularly about the behaviors that how we could conduct ourselves within the families. And he gives us some great insight. The interesting thing is that... The way he wrote the letter is in the format that the Romans used to write to all the people of their nation when they're about to go to war. 
it's the same format. It's like a call to arms. And so Paul is writing to the, uh, the, the people, all the people in Ephesus, and the way he wrote this letter in Ephesians is exactly that. It's like a call to the family to take up arms and fight for the thing that's most important is the family and the relationships that we have with one another. So it was a similar format and a similar genre that Paul wrote this letter to the um, church at Ephesus. Because who knows in society today, there seems to be sometimes um, uh, uh, an inability or an undesiring, uh, no desire to fight for that which is important to the family. There seems to be sometimes this willing to give up or break up. Or, or leave the debris of hurt and pain behind us and just walk away from it and not face it and try and um, push through. There seems to be that sometimes. Such a willingness just to give it up. And I want to tell you that if we give up the family, if we neglect the family, and there's such an attack on the family. Such an attack. I want to tell you today, the family is still a man and a woman with children. Would you agree? Because there's an attack on that right there. Um, the truth, it's not, it's not a woman and a woman, folks. It's not a man and a man. It's a man and a woman with children. It makes up a family in the commitment of marriage. You say, oh, that's old and fuddy-duddy. No, no, that's the reality of God's blessing He wants to give to us as, as we walk in that. You can't neglect that. Can't walk away from it. That's the reality and truth. Because God doesn't say that just to just to upset a, a few groups of people who believe different. No, He says it because He wants to see you live in the fullness of all that He's got for us, and not live in the hurt and pain. Now, can people have relationships with the other sex and, and, and seem to have some element of? Certainly, people seem to be able to enjoy that to some extent, but it's. But it, there's always something down the track that creates an element that's not going to be healthy for them. So, so the letter to the Ephesians, what Paul said, looks at the behaviors of family, healthy families. And in this passage, let me, I've asked myself the question, is it still relevant today what Paul says to the, to the church there? And I want to say, absolutely. Let me, let me show you why. Let's look at behaviors that says what Paul says. And so let me start today, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. It says this, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, for the husband is head of the wife, as also head of Christ is head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the first behavior that Paul emphasizes or says here for a healthy family is addressed to wives. Now, not all of your wives today, I understand. Some of you yet to become that. That's cool. Some of you have been wives and you haven't lost your, hus lost your husband for whatever reason. But uh, let me just for a moment, because we'll address everybody uh, in this. Uh, husbands, wives, children. But it, it says, wives, submit to one another. Or another word for the word submit is to respect. Okay? To respect their husbands. Historically, this text has been misunderstood and misinterpreted to the point of the suppression of women in the home and the thought to keep the women in their place. I want to tell you this morning, that was never its intention. Paul never wrote that with that intention. It's just what human, hum, humanity has taken and you know, uh, mixed it all up and screwed it up. That was never the intention. It never will be the intention uh, that at all. And I want to tell you why. If you read the verses around, you'll see something quite different. 
because verse 21 of Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another in the fear of God. Tell me, is that just saying husbands and wives? No, it's saying everybody. Because within the family, I've discovered as I've had my family and living with my family, there's times when we all need to respect and submit to each other at different times. There's, all time, there's times when Michelle has said something that makes so much sense and I say, that's it, yeah, <laughs> I will go with that. You know, there's times when we've got to acknowledge that we all have good thoughts about, and so uh, Paul clearly says, submit to one another in the fear of God. He puts it all together. The other reason why I see this verse, Paul is interesting because Paul addresses the woman first. Right at the start of this, this, in this chapter, he talks about the woman. Now, culturally, you would not address the woman first in their culture, but you would address the men first because that was culturally correct. So this verse was a little controversial in regard to the culture of the day. And so with Paul addressing the women first, do you know what he's actually doing? See, you sometimes got to discover what the verse is really saying, because what he's actually doing, he's elevating women to be equal value to the husband. Equal value, because he's addressing the woman before he addresses the man. So why did Paul say this? Why did Paul say, submit or respect your husband? Well, Paul is actually highlighting the behavior necessary for a healthy home. And you see, I want us to understand, if a man hasn't worked, if you, men, if you haven't worked it out today, you are wired. Uh, there's a couple of things that you're really wired into. You're really tapped into. And when these things happen, man, it floats your boat. And one of them is when you receive respect. When men receive respect, we're hardwired that way. We just go, yeah. And when my wife gives me respect or people give you a bit of respect, um, you know what? It just, it just makes you have the sense that, hey, life's going well. Now, I, I want to say to you, respect is never demanded. <laughs> it can't be there, well, give me respect, woman. No, no, respect is always earned. <laughs> But it's a powerful thing in the lives of a man that when he receives respect and encouragement, um, it, it's incredibly powerful. That's why you get groups of young men. They're all mucking around and carrying on. They're all looking for respect from each other. And that's why a, pro a Proverbs, there's, a, there's several references to how men hate being nagged by their wives. And all the men said, come on, where are you? Are you there this morning? It makes me, you know, it can make them feel a little disrespected. I mean, there's a verse of the Bible, Proverbs 27, 15 says, a nagging wife is like a dripping that never stops on a rainy day, you know, drip, drip, drip. Um, I don't mean for a minute or think for a minute that husbands don't neglect to do stuff. I'm a husband. I've neglected to do stuff. There's still stuff at home. I've neglected to do stuff. But nagging isn't, uh, isn't it because it, it, it won't work. Because if it, if, if it, it may work... But what it does is it builds this little, it, it doesn't endear your husband to you. It doesn't endear him to you when you continue to do that. Uh, you may feel like it works. Always, well, I'm finally getting that job done. Just, just give him some more. No, no. Uh, what it does is it starts to cut the cords or that glue between husbands and wives when that continues and continues and continues. So we, we just see... Uh, when a woman respects her husband, it heightens her husband's perspective or perception, I should say, to how he can meet her needs when he receives that respect. 
So if I was to get really practical, how can wives respect their husbands? I've just thought of some stuff that's really worked for me. (laughs) Uh, Give focus to what he does well. Because when you honor your husband for what he does well, he, he can open his heart then uh, to be receptive to advice on how to even do it better. Uh, Michelle uses this all the time. She says, wow, you've done such a good job on that. But you know what you... And I go, yeah, <laughs> thanks, honey, yeah. And then she says, but you know what you could do, did it? I said, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. But if she just comes out and says, why didn't you do it this way? It never gets anywhere. But when she comes... Here's another one. Except you married an imperfect man. And when he makes bad decisions, never say, I told you so. Never say that. <laughs> Actual fact, never say that about anybody. Never say that to anybody. I told you so. It goes down like a lead balloon. Here's another one. Speak well of your husband and never belittle him, particularly to your friends around coffee. (laughs) Don't talk about your love life to your other friends and say, I wish he performed better. Let's be real. Just stop it. (laughs) Don't belittle him. Don't belittle him. Because you know what? It, anyway, we won't go there any further. See, Paul says, come on. He says, submit and respect. It's not dem- it can never be demanded. It can only ever be given. But it's a powerful glue to the relationship between husbands and wives. Because a husband is wired with this internal um, wiring that says, I'm just seeking respect and encouragement. And it's a powerful thing in a marriage thing in relationships. Okay, can we just move on? Ephesians 5, 25, it, the second behavior, the other thing that it talks about, husband, it says, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church. Ephesians 5, and gave himself for her. The second behavior is husbands, love your wives. And notice that he tells the wives with respect to the husbands. Does that mean the wives don't have to love the husband? No. And notice here, Paul says, husbands, love your wife. Does that mean the wife doesn't have to love, the, um, uh, what, what are we saying? Respect your wife. No, no. Both have to. It goes both ways. Husbands and wives both both need to respect and love. But Paul is emphasizing something very clearly here. He's simply outlining key be- behaviors that actually help families work better because the way the males and females are wired. If men are wired for respect, what, women are wired to pick up on love. Is someone really loving me? Is my husband loving me? Whatever that may mean. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And if we could just, just, just take a moment to reflect on that. That's how it works so well. And Paul is emphasizing that. He, emphasized, he wrote this about AD 60. So like, like that's just under 2,000 years ago. That's incredible. And yet still the principles of what God spoke to Paul and how he wrote it down is so relevant today. See, I read this book. About um, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was about 10 years into my marriage, and it was called The Five Love Languages, written by Gary Chapman. Who's read that book? You need to read it. If you haven't got a copy, come to me. I'll personally give you one and buy you one, okay? Is that cool? It's not Bible. It's just a good book. Bible's better, but it's just a good book. See, the book told me that my primary love language in my life was acts of service. There's five love languages, Gary Chapman has, has pinpointed, but one of them was acts of service, that is doing things, doing things. And, um, 
And, and uh, as Michelle read the book, she found that her primary love language is quality time. Now, I wish someone had given me the book before I was married. Because I spent a good 10 years, acts of service. I used to do the yard. I used to renovate the house. I used to even vacuum the floors. And never used to wash up. I was just, man, I'm going to make her feel loved. If that's the last thing, if it kills me, I'm just going to do all these things for her. But her primary, she was going like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. But it wasn't filling her tank. So I discovered, and we read the, and the, and the truth is, is I discovered that the real primary love language is she just wanted face-to-face -face intimate contact or communication and face-to-face -face time with me. She just didn't want all the wonderful things the husband does. She wanted the, hus the wonderful husband just to talk to her. Wonderful husband, that's a nice thought, isn't it? So, so, the, so the reality was uh, that I had to learn that finally. And all she wanted was time. She just wanted my time. She just wanted, to, she wanted to, me to listen to her. Um, it, it, was, it was so simple, and yet I didn't know that, and I had to just change the way I was doing it. So, so what we do now is, is that just lately we've been, you know, one of our little things is just to get some time together. Because it's just for, um, we go on, I go and buy something I like to eat, and I go and spend time with her. And what I buy sometimes is a, just a few prawns and we, a little Bun roll, a little buns and, and, and some seafood sauce and we go up in Auckland Hill and sit on a mat there and we look out over the view and I get to eat and she gets to talk. It's a wonderful win-win situation. <laughs> so she's getting quality time, I'm listening to her um, and I'm just doing one of those acts of service I really love, eating. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Sometimes when Michelle, you know, when Michelle has tidied up in the house sometimes she'll say to me, are you feeling the love? Because she knows it's acts of service and everything tidy that I really, I, I really enjoy that. And I'm saying, yep, I'm feeling it. I know what she means. She's talking about that love language that fills our tank. See, Paul actually says something in Ephesians 5.33. The last verse in Ephesians chapter 5. The last verse. To emphasize what he's already said in the previous verses. He says this. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular... So love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See what is happening? He bundles it all together and reinforces it in the last verse, just in case we didn't get it, we just didn't, in case we didn't get it the first time. I want to say the glue for a healthy, functioning marriage and relationship and family is husbands loving their wives and wives respecting their husbands, and vice versa, but certainly those two are important. Um, I was just contemplating the reality, to be honest, um, Michelle's primary love language is quality time, and I think, I think, to be honest, that's one, no matter if it isn't your primary love language or it is, it doesn't matter, I think that's one we all need to practice anyway. Because I've discovered sometimes uh, that quality time together creates intimacy between husbands and wives. Not, not physical, that's just a byproduct of emotional intimacy I'm talking about, that connection, that that. The, the, just that eyeballing each other, and that's so important. And I've discovered couples sometimes work side by side, but they never give face to face. So they're busy. Work, children, very important. Uh, sometimes that leisure activity, whatever, out with the friends, out with the boys, whatever it is, out with the girlfriend. No, no, not the husband out with the girlfriend, just the, the women out with the girlfriends. Okay. But, you know, whatever it may be, whatever the reality is, is that sometimes as couples, they're all good things to do those things. Children are important. We sometimes are so, we get side by side, but we never get face to face. 
so busy, so busy. And we're working for the family, we're, we're working to make it function well, and so you should. But there's got to be times when you just slow down and say, hey, have we got some time together face to face? Michelle and I do another little thing, we walk. We walk and we talk, that's what we call it, walkie-talkie. We just, that's what we do together. And we do that and we talk. We walk about five kilometers, you know, 2.5 out, 2.5 back. And by the time we got back, you know, sometimes it, as we walk along at the last cave, we'll just think of things. We'll have a little prayer together, pray about some things, pray about my daughters, pray about my, you know, whatever it may be. And it's just a positive time. About uh, 15 years ago, a man in his mid-50s came to the door of our, the offices here and knocked and, and came into the little foyer and he said, can I see you? I didn't know the man. He's never been to our church, never has been to our church since. I said, certainly, sit down. He sat down and he started, and he started to cry. I think something's gone. That's what he first did. He just started to cry, started to weep. He says, I said, sir, what's wrong? He says, my wife has left me. I said, really? What, what's happened? He said, we have two children, and this year, at the start of the year, they both, even though they're different ages, they, they both left home to either um, to follow after their studies or to go and work somewhere else. They both left at the same time. And as my ch I'm saying goodbye to my children, within a week, my wife said, see you later, and she left as well. I said, wow. He said, what happens, as I've, I've understood now, is that I, I was a good husband, and I was a good father, and I worked, and I, I'd done everything that was necessary and possible to look after my family. He says, I've done the right thing, but he says, there's something obviously I didn't do, and that's something about connecting with my wife, because all our glue was wrapped up in our children, and when they left, the the, there was no longer glue, and she decided she'd leave as well. I said, wow, and I just... I, I literally was, t I, in my heart, I'd taken notes. I didn't literally take notes. I think, boy, this is many years ago. And so I, I just want to encourage us, if, you know, if you're here today, it's not just, if you want to build a good relationship, apart from husband and wives, it's got to be face-to-face, -face, not just side-by-side. -side. Here's the third thing, quickly. Husbands, it says the third behavior to do with parents and children it says, children, Ephesians chapter 6 now, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. Kids, you couldn't get away. This, children couldn't get away for free this morning. We've got something for you. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. It's, uh, it's unusual, once again, that Paul addresses children before the parents because it was cultural to address the parents before you ever address the children. And once again, what Paul is doing is breaking the cultural... Um, shackles here and saying it is elevating children um, to importance in the family it was elevating the children to importance and saying children are important to look after it says children obey your parents and notice it says there's a promise and mentions here for obeying your parents and he says children obey your parents honor your mum and dad so life may go what well with you so here we go here's the actual it's the fifth commandment in the old testament part of the scriptures it's the fifth commandment, and it's the only commandment with a promise. Uh, honor your parents, and it'll go well with you. Um, that tells me there's a blessing for us as we honor our dads and our mums. Some of our future is determined by how we treat our parents. Notice that it says this, our future is not determined by how our parents treated us. There's a difference, isn't there? Our future is not determined by how our parents treated us, but how we now treat our parents. I get it that some of our parents have not treated you well, 
uh, for some of us, there's been a number of things you've had to work through as a, a, through life and adult to sort through as a result of parents not treating us well. I understand. In actual fact, every one of us here today, to varying degrees, ranging from really horrible, terrible things that happened to you as you're growing up, to maybe just not so horrible, but every one of us have got memories of something that didn't go down well with our parents and they did to us. Every one of us. The good news is, I believe, that there, there is an opportunity, especially if we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is an opportunity to apply what He's told us to do and to be able to forgive and to move on and to have healing and wholeness and health in our own life so that we can forgive what happened in our past, maybe by our parents and what they've said or done, and we can have that, and then we can receive the blessing, it says, and we can honor our parents, and you'll be, be surprised. As we honor, then the, the blessing comes. It says, life will go well with you. I think that's so important, because, because the pain of what parents did to us can stay with us, but it doesn't have to stay with us. It can be dealt with. And we don't have to then pass it on to our kids, the pain that we experience. So, well, this is what my parents done to me. You know, I'm just going to continue. We don't literally say that, but sometimes it emotionally is passed on. We've got to stop the rot, don't we? Come on. I, uh, I, I'll, I'll relate this quickly because my dad tells me a story. My dad told me a story before he passed away. He told me a story how as a 16-year-old, his whole dream, he, he lived in a farming district outside of Gympie, and his whole dream was just to have his own crop of something, his own paddock of something. And so he lent some money from the bank and he bought a, 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 blo a block of land, a parcel of land, and he planted pineapples. His father went guarantor for him to gain that loan to buy the land. Now, he always assumed when he got the profits of that from the pineapples, which he did one day, that he would receive the profit and he would start to, he'd start to pay off the bank and he'd keep some, he'd keep it for himself and go on to get, buy more plants and build, you know, build bigger and stronger. When the day came for him to take all the pineapples to market, his father came with him and took the profits and never gave it to my dad. And so my dad experienced this hurt that he'd worked so hard for the 12 months to get pineapples, or even longer sometimes with pineapples, to get these pineapples and take them to market. And he was looking for a profit so he could start to pay his debts. But his dad took the money for himself and used it on himself. He, my dad was severely hurt by that. But I want to tell you the good news I saw evidence of my dad not holding it in his heart because he did not continue the sins of his father on me because my dad went the opposite way. He obviously somewhere in his life knew that it was important to forgive and to move on and not hassle about his dad. Now, his dad, my grandfather, died when I was two, so I, don't, I didn't know my grandfather. But the reality was my dad never lived in the same realm as his dad did with him. My dad blessed me. My dad looked up, we were never rich, but we had enough. And I'm so thankful because I think my dad applied a principle he didn't know to a situation he wasn't quite sure how to work out, but I think he just applied it and said, I'm just, forget it, move on, forgive. And I'm so thankful because it blessed me as a child, as it did, I believe, with all my siblings. There was five of us all together. And maybe you're here today and you know your parents haven't done the right thing. And maybe they never said sorry, but why don't you make the first move and forgive them? Why don't you forgive? Because the verse says, honor your parents. It doesn't say honor your parents if they're awesome. 
It doesn't say honor your per- parents if they're perfect. It says honor your parents and, and that you may receive a blessing. Honor your parents that you may receive. Um, life would go well with you. I've discovered as my parents, both my parents have passed away, um, my mum last year, but I, I had to come to that point of just continually honouring them because the reality was it was easy to see their faults. But as you know, as children, whether you're an adult and your parents are really old or whatever, it's easy sometimes to see their faults, especially as they get older. But you know what? That's the time you just need to continue to honour them and love them and look after them. And so we don't need to, we need to speak nicely to them. We don't need to tell everybody their faults. We just need to honor them and lift them up and respect them. And you know, life will go well. Here's the last thing, and we'll finish with this. The fourth behavior Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admiration of the Lord. The fourth behavior is the fathers, don't provoke your children. Paul is saying to the fathers, You know what? In the culture of the day, the training of the children... In the culture, the training of the children was left up to the servants. Did you know that? If you look through even Old Testament, you'll see that servants would train up the, up the children or bring up the children. Paul is once again, he's going against the culture of the day and he's slapping them in the face and he's saying, Come on, you dads, don't abdicate, don't abdicate your, your fatherhood and get someone else to raise your children. You raise your children. Now, it doesn't mention mothers. But, you know, the reality is, is that it's not, it's not saying mothers shouldn't raise their children. It's just saying, it, often the case is, if the father doesn't in our culture, the mother raises the children. You know what, dads, let me encourage you. It's talking about, come on, re- being a part of intimate relationship with those kids as they grow up. I've discovered that I had to be a part of my girls' lives. From the time they were even conceived, I would pray for them. I didn't get it all right as a dad. But when they get to 13, folks, don't try and put the, say, well, this is what you should do. Don't lay the law down then. No, no, no. Train them right up to that age. Because at 13, they're going to go, see you later. I'm doing my own thing. You never got interested in me when I was younger. Why are you interested in me now? Am I trying to put the heavies on the dads this morning? Well, I'm not trying to, but I'm trying to drop a big hint to you get involved and even if your kid if your child is now adult hey it's never too late it's never too late and ask for the mercy and grace of God to see something restored if there's a if it needs restoring do you notice what it says in verse 4 it says bring up them training bring them up in the admiration admonition of the Lord the training it talks about fathers bring them up do you know what I've discovered that more was caught than taught and the wonderful way that I've discovered to bring up my girls is to actually model it before them and what I am here in this on a Sunday thing needs to be happening in a home thing and it needs to be happening through the week thing and I need to be I need to be let Jesus in every aspect of my life and live my Christian faith before them I've discovered it's so vital because you know what they'll learn to love what you love they'll learn to respect it when you model um, just um, that in every aspect of your life that you're a Christian not just when people are looking at you but when people aren't looking at you I think that's a really important point because they catch it they catch it I can say a thousand words to my girls but I tell you what it was 10,000 words I said to them when I modeled it and how I treated my wife because they all wanted to marry men 
they wanted to marry men that maybe had some aspect of what, what the good things they saw in my life. And I had plenty that wasn't good, but I'm just thankful. You notice it says here, it says, fathers, don't provoke your children. But it doesn't talk about children provoking their parents. Who knows your kids can drive you crazy? They can drive you crazy. But the truth is, there's an emphasis here for the fathers because their children, as they grow up, they do provoke us. They do do things wrong. But you know what? It's at those moments when we're angry or upset with their children that we've got, to, we've got to close down the reactions, the wrong reaction, and, and reflect to them the right reaction. And that's another message that we haven't got today for time for. We've got to remember we don't need to come down to their level. We've got to remember who is the adult when they're throwing their little tantrum. And what we say and do in the heated moments is so vitally important for them to see eventually that, hey, this is how I really need to respond. Children don't have the maturity to handle their frustration sometimes, and they just take it out in all different ways. But reacting badly will not help the situation if we react badly to their bad reaction. So I understand that today there's no perfect family. I understand this morning, parents, um, maybe mums and dads, even on the way to church, you could have had a disagreement and you yet to resolve that. Anybody like that? No, don't show your hands. Maybe you've had a, a difference of agreement this week and you're not quite sure you haven't resolved it yet. Maybe today, uh, as parents, you've overreacted to your children. I'll just put both hands up. Uh, maybe today... Young people, you're upset with your parents because of their, the way they are, and probably my daughter's upset with me for putting that picture on the screen this morning. That's okay. I'll live with that. Um, no, I know. She's cool. She's cool. She saw it before. Can I encourage you this morning? Can, can I just say, we're going to stand in a minute, but to take a moment to realign your convictions today. What am I saying? Just say, have I drifted away from my conviction of the things that are just Paul says to the church at Ephesus? Have I drifted away from that, that respect thing or drifted away from that love for my wife or respect for my husband? Have I drifted away from the realities of just not reacting to my children and they get me so angry? And, and sometimes you've got to watch yourself because you get tired, don't you? You get tired and you get grumpy and you get hungry and, you just, and the kids just do something and bang, it all explodes. You know, we're not here to judge. We're just here to say, hey, there's a better way. And God just wants to come alongside you, be your strength and encouragement. And as I said at the start, in your weakness, you can know his strength. In your weakness. And I have lent into that verse so many times in my life and still do today. That we need him. Husbands, start to love that lady in your life. She'll respect you for it. Children, honor your parents. And you'll know what? You don't have the ideal parents, but no one does. But the truth is, you can be, the, you can be a, a better young person that would honor them and know the blessing. Fathers, don't bow to the frustrations that you see in your children, <laughs> the frustrations you feel. Can we stand today? Can I have the team today? That'd be great. We're going to worship just one more song. I thank you. It's just sing. You might say today, well, um, today's been heavily practical truth but that's what the bible is sometimes do you know all of this is only I, I can't do this i can't do what paul said 
The only way I can even start to start the movement is by His presence in my life, by His, His presence, His power of His Holy Spirit. Guiding me, helping me, strengthening me. My relationship with my wife is coming is much better because of my relationship with my God. My relationship with my children is only good if there's any good things about it. It has to be because of my relationship with my God. It has to be that. And I would encourage you today, that's exactly what He has for you. Out of because he says, love, love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you know what? I then find I have, I have soul, I have heart, I have love to love others then as you love your neighbor. You know, my first neighbor is my wife and my first neighbor is my husband. Not my husband. My first neighbor is the children. They're the first ones. Just apart from Alex next door to me who lives and apart from the other young guys who live on the other side down there, that's my neighbors. It's my family. So let me just pray today. Holy Spirit, I just, could you close your eyes? And today if you're here and you just say, hey, yeah, just pray for me. Just pray for me. You're not, we're not perfect and none of us are. But if you're sincere, why don't you step out of your comfort zone today and just say, yeah, yeah, raise your hand and say, whatever aspect do you sense that, that you just need strength? Come on, why don't you do something by faith today and raise your hand and say, yep, pray. I just, I just need that as a mother, as a grandparent, as a grandfather, as a husband, as a child, as a whatever, brother or sister today. Just pray. I, I just come before you, God, and I ask for your strength. You, you raise your hand to Him. In actual fact, I, I think there's so many aspects that He wants to teach you and help you and strengthen you. So Father, today, I thank you for every hand. I think I pray the Lord God, that you would help us, uh, because Lord, there's just we need you, we need you in our lives so that other relationships can go so much better. Father, we we would ask for your help, Holy Spirit. In our weakness, we, we your promise is that you will be our strength. So we would call upon you, and we would look to you in those times, and so we submit and commit to you in Jesus' name today. And Father, we'd ask for your help in that, those marriages today that are just struggling a bit. I ask for your blessing and strengthening. They'll be face to face, not just side by side. I pray for the relationships between parents and children today, that you would help them to be an understanding and not frustrating each other, but an understanding and a caring for each other, an honoring of each other, Lord. But we ask this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And come on, if you agree... How about you declare it with your, so let it be, amen today. Amen? Amen. Come on.